0: Welcome to Generation Slay.
1: Where we know that Gen Zers are shifting important narratives, changing the world, creating incredible content, and making a name for themselves in a big way.
0: Each episode, we interview the Gen Z entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators who are slaying it in their fields.
1: I'm Luca Russo, a 21-year-old freelance writer based out of New York. My work primarily focuses on fashion, entertainment, and plus-size representation. It has been published in GQ, Glamour, Teen Vogue, Nylon, Vice, The Huffington Post, and more. When I'm not writing, I'm usually ranting about my dog or Ariana Grande. You can find me on social media at G underscore Russo one.
0: And I'm Emma Havekhorst, a 21-year-old Fordham University marketing major, writer, and consultant to both businesses and rising Gen Zers. I'm a chai latte and donut addict, and I spend most of my waking hours on Instagram, where you can find me at Emma Happy. this week's episode, we are so excited to have Michael Salmon on to discuss his career in tech at incredible companies like Facebook and Google, how he's mostly self-taught and about gaining recognition and success at such a young age.
1: Michael is a 22-year-old first-generation Latin American mobile application entrepreneur and software engineer. He's best known for creating top charting apps as a teenager to provide for his family during the Great Recession, as well as his subsequent work at Facebook. Michael published his first app to the App Store when he was 13 years old and later gained recognition from Mark Zuckerberg with his launch of 4Snaps, a turn-based photo game in his junior year of high school. Zuckerberg then hired Michael, who became Facebook's teen-in-residence at 17. His success with mobile application development grew in his teenage years at Facebook, where he generated millions in revenue as a high school student michael is currently a product manager at google heading a social gaming startup within the company
0: so hey michael we are so happy to have you on the show today
1: hi uh thank you so much i'm so
2: i'm so glad to be here
0: so to start off uh tell us a little about your backstory how you first got into programming and of course how you eventually gained the attention of the mark zuckerberg
2: yeah well uh definitely i um i I want to say I started off uh, more so just playing games online than anything else. Uh, When I was about seven, eight years old, um, my sister and my little sister actually showed me this uh, new game that was coming out online um, with penguins. And I was like, what is this? And it turned out to be this game called Club Penguin uh, that I later became quickly obsessed with. Um, And as time went on, I uh, developed an interest in building games just like that. Um, I obviously had no idea how to do that. So I turned to the tool that I think, you know, our generation uses uh, to learn things, and that was Google. So I simply started to go on Google uh, to look up how to do these things and piece together, you know, whatever information I could find uh, to slowly build some of these apps and games. Um, And at first, you know, I never really thought it would make any money. I was just doing it for fun. Um, And as that started to become uh, that money, uh, that income, that revenue, I, I, unfortunately, my family ended up going through uh, some tough financial times with the recession. Um, And so given that, um, we ended up Having used a lot of the income that I was earning from my apps to kind of sustain the family and and make sure that we had food on the table and paying off you know the the house uh, bills and and whatnot so uh, that kind of took a bit of a toll, uh, but I think in that I learned a lot of determination motivation that got me to uh, building out uh, bigger and bigger games uh, to which at eventually, you know, Mark Zuckerberg somehow uh, found out about some of these uh, games I was building and uh, through, you know, the channels at Facebook, they reached out to me via email uh, while I was in math class uh, in junior year. And I remember vividly uh, my teacher taking away my iPad because I was distracting from the class and I was panicking because I needed to respond. And I felt like this is like once in a lifetime. I couldn't believe it. So um, as soon as I got the iPad back after class and I begged it, I begged my teacher for it. um, I responded, uh, flew out to California, got to meet with Mark and uh, chatted a little bit about potentially working there and uh, ended up uh, joining the company a few months later.
1: That's so cool to hear how you kind of had this like little idea so early on and really didn't have any connections, any knowledge of this industry, and then kind of had the motivation to go online and figure out how to do it all on yourself and You touched um on this a little bit talking about the struggles your family faced, but as a first generation Latin American, what kind of challenges did you face while trying to initially launch your career and expand it well that's a really good point i think I think there's
2: a lot of I think there's a lot of cultural differences between uh, different backgrounds. And I think specifically with the Latin American culture, I think there's a big fear of um, not fitting in a lot of times. And I was lucky enough to grow up in Miami where a lot of the community was Latin American. Uh, But at the same time, uh, some uh, cultural divisions kind of grew in me where I didn't really know how to say certain things in English. I um, I would rely on Spanish as my main language until I was about 10, 11 years old when I learned uh, more English in school. And I think the biggest issue of all was I really had no connection to the Silicon Valley industry. Um, not only that, my parents had no idea that this would be a career choice at all. Programming was not even considered a thing uh, in the community. And so um, as I started to build these games, my parents, the only reason they let me do it was because they felt it would be fine for me to play games on the computer uh, whenever I wanted. And it was this kind of really relaxed uh, personality that they had with me as a kid that let me kind of stumble upon it. But at no point did they ever think this was a career. And I think, I think that kind of creates a lot of the problems when when I personally see, you know, a, a lack of diversity in the valley I think it kind of boils down to some of these issues um, regarding uh, you know, that funnel and the lack of exposure and awareness of some of these fields within those communities.
0: So connecting to that feeling of that sort of lack of exposure and lack of knowledge about the industry. When you first started working at Facebook, literally when you were 17, did you ever feel inferior or out of place? And if so, how did you deal with that and (laughs) cope?
2: I mean, I very much did feel out of place, uh, (laughs) if only because I just grew up in such a different environment. Um, uh, You know, one of the most interesting things I think about the recession uh, in 2008 when the economy crashed is uh, for a lot of communities, uh, they never really recovered. And Mm so I, you know, being 17 at the time around 2014, uh, the economy in Miami hadn't really recovered for most of the middle class. Um, and for my family specifically, it, it most definitely had not. Um, and so as I left and I went to California and I and I kind of became immersed in, in my job at Facebook, I was surrounded by just people that were relaxed and not worrying about how, their bills and, and not concerned about their health insurance. And just all of these people that just had just all of that was, a given. And it was just really shocking to me to see how different, you know, the the two worlds were at that time. And I think I think it was a really good lesson to learn, at least for me, to know that, you know, not everybody has that same background. And, you know, America can be very different depending on, you know, even where you are or what specific job you hold.
0: So do you think that's, well, first, do you think that exposure to the concept of the fact that things are different elsewhere, outside of the valley? Do you think that affects how you work?
2: Oh, very much.
0: Other people now? Yes.
2: Oh, yes. Um, I, I think it, it almost, it, all, it, it sounds a little weird, but I do think that um, the more exposure you have to all kinds of backgrounds, regardless of whether they're, you know, high income, low income, middle class, the, the more exposure you have, the more friends you make, the more experiences you live in varied income brackets, right? Like the more of that that you see for yourself, I think that the the better you build products, right? Because the better you can understand the audiences that you're building towards. And I, I just don't see at all a, um, a any downsides to that. Uh, and, so, and so I think, you know, in addition to that, I think there are a bit of uh, some struggles uh, that can arise from uh, that kind of an exposure, right? I think a lot of times I struggled at Facebook communicating, you know, sometimes, you know, where my background came from and and some of the issues we'd have with uh, certain products or services. And it was a little bit hard to explain to those who hadn't come from a similar background. So I do think there's some of those uh, things. And then there's some silly things as well, right? Like in Miami and in Latin America, you, you know, you grow up having your door wide open and dust kind of comes into the house. And that may sound totally irrelevant and out there. But uh, based on that, nobody would ever take off their shoes uh, when you walked into the house. It would be considered extremely rude um, and and almost gross uh, to do such a thing. Uh, we even have terms for it like sucia which means like uh, dirty, dirty paw in, in Spanish that we call to those who take off their shoes. In public, and so what was really interesting is, I mean, it's silly, but I'd go to California, I'd go see my friends, my coworkers, and I'd go, you know, to parties or wherever, and everyone would have a mountain of shoes right by their door. And I was so shocked and confused and scared. I was like, oh, my gosh, like what is happening? Why is everyone taking off their shoes? I feel so rude. I feel so like I'm insulting them by doing this. And, you know, I, I come to realize it's, it's the opposite, right? In, in California and in, in Asian culture, especially uh, taking your shoes off is a sign of respect, not of insult. Right. So so it, that as well, I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, totally. And you brought up so many good points there. And one of them we wanted to touch on. Um, It's kind of what you have access to growing up when you don't come from, uh, you know, a family with a lot of money or a lot of connections. And that's really education. And me and Emma talk about this a lot. Um, But most of the education you receive was self-taught. And a lot of people ask us, I mean, I started my career before I was in um, college as well. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't need to go to school. Um, but some people prefer to do that and they think that's the plan for them. So do you think nowadays it's more and more possible for teens to launch their careers before college or without even getting a college degree kind of like you did? That's a really good question.
2: I actually, you know, a lot of times I get asked a similar question too of like, oh, you know, you didn't go to college, you left high school, you went to Facebook. Um, now believe like nobody should be going to college and like we should just ditch the whole system give up on college and universities and let's just focus on having all these people code when they're like 12 and then you know and and i hear this and and i just think to myself you know if i had the choice i would have wanted to get an amazing college education in programming i feel like I feel like the way I learned how to program was just totally backwards. Like I kind of had, you know, like halfway just kind of did whatever I could to um, to find little pieces of code here and there online. And through that, I slowly kind of pieced together what programming was about. But it took me way longer to do it that way. And I still to, to this day have a very incomplete, very backwards like idea and understanding of some programming concepts. Uh, that if I would have gone to a university where a teacher or a professor would have guided me through the process in, in, in a structured manner, I probably would have learned a lot faster and would have been able to expand on it a lot quicker. And so I, I tend to be of the belief that everybody has a slightly different way of learning. And I myself tend to be very uh, self-taught. I I love to just Google and be curious about it myself and and learn it as I go. Um, But not everybody is like that. And uh, a lot of times we think of university and college recently, more recently than not, as one, one path in terms of education. Uh, when when I instead try and, and think of it as what if we were to turn those universities that many need updating in a lot of different areas, what if we were to turn those colleges and universities into those centers where people, no matter what kind of Uh, education form they prefer, or what kind of way they learn, that we can provide them a space to do it. So let's say someone does like to learn things by themselves via Google, Uh, to have a university or college be a resource for that type of a student, I think would be amazing. Uh, for someone who does need that extra guiding hand, um, to have that resource there at the university as well. And so I think, you know, opening up and expanding the terminology of what a university and a college is, I think can help us educate more of our generation and make it more accessible. All of these industries more accessible to the youth rather than giving up on the concept or saying, you know, that way is the old way we're gonna, you know, do it on our own now. Right?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I I honestly love that concept of, you know, making education more accessible to different types of learning because, I mean, if you look at it now, the education system is gearing towards like, what's the most common way to do it? And everyone else who doesn't work that way, "Mm, you're stuck. So definitely focusing and thinking about doing it in a way that's more accessible to everyone should definitely be the way things are going yes
2: and, and i i worry a lot about um you know when when people talk about how we should move away from that form and just kind of go all in on the future of self-taught because it it kind of has this oh, under underlying message of uh uh let's continue uh, defunding our education system let's okay. continue pulling resources away from it um and putting it as like, like this you know, saying, oh, it doesn't work now. So let's just strip it of whatever's left of it. And so I like to think of it as, you know, how can we instead fix it, right? You know, we can fix it. We don't have to abandon it, right? And and I think, you know, in fact, as as we do fix it I, and we do expand it, I think we'll be able to see a lot more promising uh, conclusions from it because not everybody, like you said, right? Like not everybody uh, can teach themselves on the internet by themselves. Not everyone has that exposure to all of the fields and all of the possibilities. Right,
1: definitely. And I like what you said about the fact that, you know, if you had the choice, you would have gone and that it kind of would have been a little faster uh, process of learning, but that people who have your personality uh, are more self-taught. So what are kind of the things um, for people who find that they learn from more self-taught kind of learn on the job uh, way? Uh, what are some of the qualities they need to have in order to be successful learning that way instead of going to an institution to to learn uh, their craft?
2: Well, that, that's a good question. One of one of the things I, I like to say a lot of times is uh, you, you got to have two to this. You got to have Um, you got to have the motivation, the determination, that kind of stuff, right? So you got to be passionate, you got to be very focused because it's very easy to distract, at least for me, it's very easy for me to get distracted a lot of times. And so I think having that focus is really good. Uh, But a lot of times people say that, and then you wonder, you know, where do you get that focus from? You can't just say, okay, now I have focus, like all of a sudden, right? That has to come from somewhere. And so the second point I usually make is, you've got to set a goal for yourself you've got to have a very crisp clear idea of what you want to do and i think that's actually one of the things that is toughest right is not necessarily to find focus but to have a goal and then you know work backwards from there a lot of times uh, I'll, I'll see people you know go you know, if you were to use a career and a path to eventually having a successful career as kind of a car driving down a road, trying to get to a city or a destination of some sort, and you imagine the way that we work today, I think a lot of times it's it's a situation where you're driving without any knowledge of a compass or GPS, and every time you hit an intersection, every time you have to make a choice right in front of you, you just choose the one that feels more right without having a city or a destination in mind and so in that analogy it seems very confusing like why would you be making turns and driving around picking at each intersection which turn makes more sense why not look towards the destination and figure out a GPS route that makes it most effective to get there and so I think a lot of times we're told you know don't worry just pick the one that makes you feel better and then you can worry about the goal later on. It'll just appear to you magically. And I think uh, when, when people ask me, where does that focus come from? I think it's having a clear goal. It doesn't have to be an ambitious one. It doesn't need to be the end goal of everything. But having some kind of a small goal, something that you think you may be able to achieve, is, at least for me, what, what gives me that determination, that focus.
0: So speaking of end goals, or at least next steps, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're working on now at Google and what potentially your next steps are, what your next plan is in your career?
2: <laughs> so I can't share a whole lot, but I definitely do want to say a little bit um, at Google. I think one of the things I've I've spent the most time trying to figure it out is, you know, if you have all the resources in the world, what could you build? What could be done? to build certain things, right? Like different products that serve different problems or, or, or serve different needs. Um, and so a lot of that has been uh, kind of my work so far. Um, hopefully in the coming months, I'll be launching a couple of products soon um, and may or may not be in the gaming space or social space. Uh, but that's kind of the most passionate thing for me. Uh, down the road though, if you ask me, you know, what what do I think five, 10 years down the road, what I'm gonna be doing? Um, I, you know, a lot of people like to say that they want to focus on being, you know, becoming the top CEO, becoming the the top of the chain, climbing the ladder to the top. I'm personally not very interested in that. I, I you know, I for me, it's more of I, I just want to build things that. I think can provide value to others. And if that means I'm at the bottom of the chain in some company or working in in a, you know, in a little corner where no one knows who built the thing, like that gives me the joy, you know, that that's enough. And and it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I think my mind has changed constantly on this and I think it will continue to. Uh, but back when I was kind of primary, primarily focused on trying to earn money, trying to make sure we had food for the family or paying our credit card bills or, you know, uh, kind of making sure we had health care and that kind of stuff. Uh, My primary goal was monetization, trying to get to the top, trying to get noticed, you know, trying to get what what I can because it was to survive. And what is interesting is once those basic needs were met, once I had the peace of mind with health care and with food and, and with shelter. I, I all of a sudden just felt like, okay, well, who cares about the rest of it? Like, I've got that. Those are the basics. I don't, I don't strive for more than that. Uh, Now it's my turn to try and make sure other people can get to that point as well. So that kind of has become, I guess, my new goal uh, in life. Uh, But it might, you know, it might evolve
1: over time. Definitely, and we've talked a lot of uh, about a lot of great stuff here. But uh, if you had to give some advice to be to other Gen Zers who maybe they're first generation college students themselves, or uh, people in high school, or even younger than that, who have big ideas but aren't really sure how to go about making them into a reality, what would you say to them?
2: That's that's good. I I, I would I would say to them more than anything um, to not be afraid to think about a goal. You know, a lot of times. When I try and think about goals, uh, my mind goes blank, and I have no idea where to even start thinking. I have a lot of a lot of potential things I like to do, but not very sure where or what to do. And I think a lot of times, you know, I've I felt like maybe because I'm not sure, I shouldn't pick something to go for. And instead, the biggest advice I'd give is find something, anything that you like, whether or not it's the focus or singular thing whether or not you're confident that's where you want to end up for sure and just go for it right like just go for one of them because once you're able to accomplish one you can move on to the next and you can do multiple things but it's like until you get that one thing that you start aiming towards it becomes very hard so that's one of the things i would say to kids uh, at that age And, and and more than anything else to the first generations to those who feel like you know in the current climate of the world and, and the way that things have been going in this country and abroad, uh, I've personally felt very scared as to the future, right? And a lot of times I felt like, you know, uh, maybe, maybe we don't belong, maybe I don't belong. And um, I mean, the one thing I would say is, looking at all of that, understanding that the future generations in this country are diverse, are coming from backgrounds that weren't here before and are shaping the future. And as we've seen in in countless, countless polls, surveys, whatever it may be, the population numbers, our numbers continue to grow and our influence in this country continues to grow. And that kind of gives me a little bit of hope. So I would say to those who feel left out and immigrants, don't feel bad about it, but realize that the unique perspective that you provide is one of the biggest assets that a company can use to excel and to cater to the following generations.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's amazing. That's really good advice there. Um, but yeah, of course, thank you so much for, for sharing that all, your experience and your advice and all you've learned. Um, I know me and Emma both loved listening to all that and getting to talk more about that. Um, and can tell everyone listening where they can find you online and reach you at
2: definitely um my pleasure to be here as well um uh, you can find me on twitter at michael saman so m-i-c-h-a-e-l-s-a-y-m-a-n um and similarly on you know on facebook instagram you know whatever
0: <laughs> amazing thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us it has been amazing
2: <laughs> likewise thank you so much for uh spending the time with me
0: Thanks for listening to Generation Slay. We have new episodes launching every Tuesday.
1: If you liked what you heard today or felt like you got some great insight from our guests, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice so that more people will see the podcast and hear what our incredible guests have to say.
0: In the meantime, if you have an idea of someone we should have on the show or just want to talk to us, you can find the podcast at Generation Slay on Twitter and Instagram and at www.generationslay.com.
1: Keep slaying, and we'll see you next week.